Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, thank you so much for attending our Bible History Project for tonight. So we will continue uh, our study concerning the Feast or Festivals of Yahuwah. And this brings us to Israel. Israel is the nation or people of God, and God called them way back during the days of Abraham, during the days of Moses. And so we understand God has elected and called them as a people. However, we also know that Israel rejected the Messiah. God sent them the Messiah so that he will be their king and high priest, but they rejected the Messiah. And because of this, they had to undergo persecution and so much trouble along the way. This is why we are not surprised concerning the travails of Israel as a people. However, when you read scripture, one thing is very clear. Yahuwah is not yet finished with Israel. When we look at the Feast of Yahuwah, it seems to be that Yahushua is going to restore the, restore the people of Israel so that he can be their high priest and also their king. Why do we say this? If we go back to what we studied last week concerning the structure of Leviticus, we believe Yahushua is the word of God. And so even before the creation of the world, everything was planned through Yahushua as the Logos. And so the first three, four feasts, Yahushua fulfilled on the exact date of when they are observed. So Yahushua died on the 14th day of Nisan. And Yahushua was in the grave on the 15th day, was resurrected during the fruits of uh, first fruits, the feast of first fruits, and gave the Holy Spirit to his kahal on the day of Pentecost, which suggests that something significant will happen in the next three feasts of Yahuwah, namely the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So it could be in some future feasts that Yahushua will take his kahal to heaven, the blowing of trumpets or feast of trumpets. It could be that Yahushua will again be Israel, will be Israel's high priest on the Day of Atonement to be able to bring in his kingdom that he will set up in Jerusalem as its headquarters. And so because of the Feast of Yahuwah, it seems that Yahushua and Yahuwah are not yet finished with the people of Israel. Now, who also spoke about the mystery concerning Israel? Let's read the book of Romans 11, 11 and 12. The one speaking here, by the way, is what apostle? What's his name? Apostle Paul. This is what he says. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? It's a rhetorical question asked by Apostle Paul. And he's speaking about the people of Israel because they rejected their Messiah. And so he asked the question again, I ask, did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? What is his answer? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? So according to Apostle Paul, Yahuwah and Yahushua are not yet finished with the people of Israel. Why? Because they did not stumble so much that they are beyond recovery. 
And so Apostle Paul is prophesying the recovery or the restoration of the people of Israel. Now to what did Apostle Paul liken Gentiles to in connection with Israel? Let's read Romans 11, 17 to 19. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say that branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. So what does Apostle Paul liken? The Gentiles. The Bible says they were like wild olive shoots who were grafted in to the branch. And so he's telling the Gentiles not to be proud, not to boast, because essentially they were just simply grafted in because Israel were broken off. And so Israel's stubbornness gave the opportunity for Gentiles to first receive the blessing of our almighty Yahuwah. Well, when will they be grafted in? Well, let's read what it says in the book of Romans 11, 23 to 24. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted in to a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will the Will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So what Apostle Paul is saying, if it was, if God was able to graft in a wild olive shoot into the branches, which is not natural, well, how much more is God able to graft the people of Israel back to their natural state. This is why Apostle Paul teaches here that Yahuwah is not yet finished with Israel. There's going to be a plan to graft them back in, to bring them back in, to restore the people of God. And so when will this happen? Let's read Romans 11, 25 down to 26. You do not want to be ignorant of this, of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. You get that? Apostle Paul did not want us to be conceited. Brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. I want to pause there for a while. There seems to be some uh, technical difficulty. Okay. Okay, now. So let's go ahead and look at what happened to the people of Israel. This is... Uh, we all know this. What happened to them? 70 AD, what happened because they rejected the Messiah? Remember the prophecy concerning Jonah? They were given 40, 40 years because they, after receiving the 
instruction to repent to accept Yahusha as Messiah, but they refused. And so after 40 years, 70, 80, they were destroyed. And this led to diaspora, the spreading out of the people of Israel, the scattering of the people of Israel. So many people thought that was the end of Israel. This is why when they look at Revelation, when they look at Daniel the prophet, many Bible scholars concluded this must be allegorical because there's no more Israel. There's no more nation. Nobody thought that this would happen in 1948. Israel became a nation. That in itself was a miracle. Not only that, 19 years later, 1967, Israel captured Jerusalem. You see how Israel is being slowly restored 1948 became a nation, 1964 or 67, Israel captured Jerusalem. What could this be a prelude to? It could be, it's a prelude to rebuilding the temple. Is that something that's expected to happen? We'll find out later. So that there can be Israel's high priest. Could it be Yahushua? Could the king of Israel be Yahushua? And so these are the questions we want to ask because we know, according to Apostle Paul, Yahuwah is not yet finished with the people of Israel. As a matter of fact, Yahuwah has a plan. He has a program for the people of Israel. Where can we find that program? Let's read the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And so this is Yahuwah's plan for the people of Israel. Why do we know this is for Israel? The one writing here is Daniel. And during this time, he was in Babylon because Israel was in captivity. And so he knows Israel's liberation is about to happen soon. And so he prayed to the Father. He prayed to Yahuwah our God to show him what's going to happen to the people of Israel and to his holy city, Jerusalem. This is why it says here, your people, Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem. And so this is a plan that Yahuwah God has for Israel and for Jerusalem. And what is this plan? It has six parts to it, six goals. It says here to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, number two. Number three, to make atonement for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. And number six, to anoint the most holy place. And what time frame or what was the goal of Yahuwah our God? What did he decree as the time for the fulfillment of what he has programmed for his people, Israel? It says here, 70 weeks. So Daniel 9.24, which continues to 9.25 to 27, it is about Yahuwah's 70-week plan for the people of Israel to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. This is Yahuwah's 70-week plan for his people, 
Israel. However, there's something we need to know because this is a prophecy, right? When it comes to prophecy, we need to go deeper. When we go back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says there, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. When we go to the Hebrew word, when we look at weeks, what is the Hebrew word used? If we go to Blue Letter Bible, our favorite website, right? 70 is the Hebrew word 7657, which is Shabayim. Can you say that? Shabayim. And so 70 uh, and Shabuah, right? And when we look at that in the, the usage of it, it says period of seven days or years. This is why the weeks, the 70 weeks could be a period of seven days or years. So when it says seven, when it says week, it could refer to either days or it could refer to weeks of years. Well, how can we know? We, we got to look at the context. What is the context? In Daniel chapter 9, 1 down to 2, in the first year of Darius, the son of Asherius, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of Yahuwah to Jeremiah, the prophet, for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. And so at this point, like what we said, Daniel, well, he was in Babylon, Persians took over. And so he knew that the captivity of Israel was about to finish. Why? Because he was studying what book? What book was he studying? What book was he reading? The prophet Jeremiah's book. In the prophet Jeremiah's book, it specifically says there that their time in Babylon would only be for how long? 70 years. That time was fast approaching. So what was in the mind of Daniel? He was thinking of years and not days. This is why when it says 70 weeks, it refers to 70 weeks of years. In other words, 70 times 7 of years. And so what we have is 70 times 7 is 490 years. Do you get it so far? So one week stands for seven years. So, so Yahuwah's 70 weeks plan for Israel, 70 times 7, is actually his 49-year plan for Israel. Do you get it so far? It's a 490-year plan for the people of Israel. Now, when it comes to the years of biblical prophecy, how many days compose a year? Remember, the people of Israel, they adopted what kind of calendar? A lunar calendar. And so one year will how many days? Well, we have to look at the Bible. Let's look, for example, in the book of Genesis 7:11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the mountains of the great deep burst open, floodgates of the sky were open. So here, Moses is speaking about the 17th day of the second month. In Genesis 8, 3 to 4, it says, And the water receded steadily from the earth 
And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month. So now we are on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month. And so we have in Genesis 7 and 8, a mentioning of the 17th day of the second month, right? The 17th day of the seventh month. And how many months does that make? How many months is that? From the second month to the seventh month? Five months, right? So five months was how many days? If you go back to Genesis 8, 150 days. And so what we have is 150 days, which is the equivalent of five months. What does that mean? One month is 30 days. So for one year, 12 months, you have 360 days. So the biblical year based on Genesis is 360 days. Or how about in the book of Revelation? From Genesis to Revelation, can we find the same pattern? Revelation 11, 2 down to 3. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So now we are in Revelation. Before we were in Genesis. From Genesis to Revelation. In Revelation, it mentions 42 months. And it has the equivalent of 1260 Day. So 42 months equals 1260 days. So one month equals how many days? Divide both sides by 42 and you get 30 days. So one month is 30 days, 12 months for one year. That's 360 days. So one biblical year is 360 days. So unless specified, we believe that the years mentioned in the Holy Bible applies to 360 days, okay? If it's a prophecy, it applies, it uses a 360-day biblical year. So let's go back to the prophecy in Daniel 9.24. We will read now Daniel 9.25 to 26. Remember, Yahuwah has a 70-week uh, plan. Right, 70 weeks or 490 years for a total of 70 weeks. So let's look at 9, 25 to 26. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be, shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And so this is what's going to happen in that time span of 70 weeks. But we know it's weeks of years for the time span of 490 years. So what's going to happen first? Well, it mentions in the passage, seven weeks and 62 weeks. 
What's 7 plus 62? 7 plus 62. We're going to be doing a lot of math today. Is that okay? A lot of math. I hope you brought your calculators with you. 7 plus 62, I think, is 69, right? So 69. So there's 69 weeks. And in this 69 weeks, something will happen. Remember, what's the total amount of weeks that God has decreed? How many? 70. So 69 weeks with one week left over. So in 69 weeks, 7 plus 62, something great is going to happen. What will happen after 69 weeks or on the 69th week? Well, it says here in the passage that from the going forth of the command, to restore and build Jerusalem, including the street and the wall. So not just the temple, but Jerusalem as a city. And so that's the start of the clock. That's the start of the ticking of the 70 weeks when this decree has been commanded. And so if it was commanded, it's going to be from a king. And so once this decree has been commanded to rebuild Israel, including its walls and its streets, what is going to happen? It says, until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And so the beginning is the giving of the command, right? To the time of the coming of Messiah as prince is going to be 67 or seven weeks plus 62 weeks, which is 69 weeks. So from the time a decree is made to rebuild, and restore Jerusalem, including the street and the walls, until the Messiah comes as prince. There will be 69 weeks or 483 years. Where do we get the 483 from? 483. Where'd you get that from? Someone put in your calculator 69 times 7. What do you get? 69 times 7? Nobody has a calculator? Maybe Jenna. 483. Right? So 69 weeks are weeks of years. So 69 times 7 years, 483 years. So according to the prophet Daniel, from the time of the giving forth of the command until Messiah the Prince will be 483 years. So the, this is why we need to know when this decree was made, right? To rebuild Jerusalem. It's a good thing this was documented, not only by secular history, but especially by biblical history. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, 1, 7 to 8. And it came about in the month Nisan. Now, when it says in the month Nisan, and it doesn't specify 14th or 10th, it means it's the first of Nisan. Okay, so when it came about, in the first month, the first, in the first month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, 
the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because he, because the good hand of my God was on me. So when was this decree, this command that was given so that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, including the walls and the streets? This happened during the reign of King Arthaxerxes in the first of the month of Nisan. When did this happen? According to many scholars, they agree on the, Ar the Arthaxerxes mentioned here. And according to Reed Potts' History of the World, this took place in 465 BC. In other words, Arthaxerxes entered the throne at 465 BC. But if you still remember, let's go back to it. It's the 20th year of King Arthaxerxes. When did he take over the throne? 465. The 20th year takes us to what date? 465 minus 20 is what? 445 BC. And according to the Royal Observatory, who, who studied the moon and its movements, right? In Greenwich, United Kingdom, it states that the first of Nisan in King Arthaxerxes' 20th year was March 14, 445 BC. And so March 14, 445 BC was when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was made. I wonder, according to secular history, when was Jerusalem rebuilt so that the walls have been erected, so that there was a plaza and streets and business started booming again? When did that happen? According to a website called JewishRoots.net, this is what it says, many crucial events occurred in the history of Israel by 396 B.C. The city, for example, was rebuilt. The temple established. The canon of the Old Testament was completed. From the close of that time, for the advent of John the Baptist, there was no prophet in Israel. So something happened by 396 BC. What was that? The city was already rebuilt. And that's significant. Because when you look at 396 BC and go back to when the decree was established, when the decree was given, that was 445 BC, right? When you subtract 396 from 445, what do you get? 49 years, right? Do you notice anything about 49 years? Remember the prophecy? From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which makes 69 you might be wondering, why was it split up 70 weeks plus 62 weeks? Well, seven weeks, how many years is that? Seven weeks. 49 years. Yeah. It was split up to show us something significant was going to happen on 396 BC. And sure enough, that was fulfilled. However, there's the other 62 weeks. 434 years plus 49 years, which makes 483 years. What's going to happen? The Bible says 
that will be the coming of Messiah, the anointed one, as the prince. Did you get that? And so now we have a time frame for the coming of Messiah as the prince. So from the time a decree is made to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, including the street and walls, which took place March 14, 445 BC, until the Messiah comes as prince, there will be 69 weeks or 483 years. Was this fulfilled? It's pretty exciting, right? We have to find out, well, when did Messiah come as prince? For us to find out, we need to first know when he started his ministry. It's a good thing. Luke, the physician, was a good historian. And this is what he said in the book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, how many here know Tiberius Caesar? There's a lot of Caesars, right? But this one, Tiberius, it was when he was in office that this took place, according to Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch, tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, these sound like diseases or the cities, and Lysanias, Tetrach of Abilene, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Yahusha also was baptized. Who was doing the baptizing? John the Baptist, right? And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Now, Yahusha himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. So according to Luke, Yahusha was baptized, and on his baptism day, what descended upon him? The Holy Spirit. So he was anointed. He became the Messiah, right, when he was 30 years old. However, the prophecy says the Messiah will appear as king or will appear as prince. So this is not yet that time. This is his anointing. This is him becoming the Messiah. And Yahuwah God saying, this is my beloved son. This was the beginning of Yahusha's ministry. When did this take place? During the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. When was that? We have good historical evidence that the 15th year of Tiberius began on August 19 of 28 AD. This according to the historian Tacitus in his book Annals. So many secular historians agree on Tiberius having the 15th year of, his, uh, of him being leader, August 19 of 28 AD. And so Yahushua began his ministry around autumn of 28 AD. You follow so far? That's when he started his ministry, 28 AD. Because it was autumn, right? Yahushua, when he started his ministry, he did not have his first Passover yet as Messiah, right? He's about to have his next Passover, his first Passover as Messiah in the next AD, which would be 29 AD. 
And so how many Passovers did Yahusha was in after he became Messiah? Well, let's look at John 2, 13 and 14. That was the first Passover. And then John 6, 45, that was the second Passover. And then Luke 9, 51, he went back to Jerusalem because that was where the people were going to. That was the third Passover. And then the fourth Passover was his last. Why? Luke 22, 7 to 8, the day came during the festival of unleavened bread. When the lambs or the Passover meal were, were to be killed, Yahusha sent Peter and John with these instructions. Go and get the Passover meal ready for us to eat. This was his last. What is it again? Supper. This was Yahusha's Passover. And so in the future, when before we used to have Holy Supper, we're going to be calling it Yahusha's Passover. Is that okay? That's what we're going to call it because that's what it was. This was the time when Yahusha instituted the holy, so-called holy supper. We call it now Yahusha's Passover. And so this was his fourth and last Passover here on earth after he became Messiah. And so when did Yahusha die? Well, on the fourth Passover, because being the Lamb of God, he died, as we showed, on the day of Passover. That was in our first lesson concerning the feast. Remember that? Right? And so he died on the fourth Passover of his ministry, or after August of 28 AD. And so all we need to do so that we can determine the year of his death is he started his ministry 28 AD. Right? But he did not have his first Passover yet. He had to wait for the... 29th, first Passover, 30, second Passover, 31 AD, third Passover, and then 32, the last Passover. And when is Passover? Nisan, what number? When's Passover? The 14th of Nisan, right? Nisan 14 is Passover, according to NASA. In 32 AD, and also the Royal Observatory in, UK, in uh, Greenwich, Nest, uh, according to their data, when was the full moon? When was the time allotted for the Paschal or the Passover or Nisan the 14th? It was April 14, 32 AD. Okay, so that was determined by the NASA moon data. However, we're not going by the NASA moon data. Remember? Remember how the people of Israel determined when the Nisan was by the, uh, the, the appearance of the crescent of the moon, right? And so it was really subjective, and it depends on the climate and the clouds that was that could be obscuring the sight so that people might not see right away the crescent of the moon. According to this researcher, and if you have the time, I recommend that you read his book. It's available in, on Kindle, I think for just a couple of bucks. It's called The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. And he worked with people at the Royal Observatory, but he's also a biblical scholar. And so he was the first one to come up with this. And if you have the time, you can read his book, The Coming Prince. I'm going to leave that there so that you can look at it. 
Okay, I'm not endorsing him, by the way, but it's very interesting what he says. However, I do have to warn you, this was written a long, long time ago, so the English is kind of hard to understand. Okay, it's like cryptic English, you know, it's kind of hard to follow the cadence and all that. So this is what he said in his book, according to the scheme of the eight-year cycle, the embolismal month, on a pause for, for a while, the embolismal month is inserted, is inserted in certain years. It's like a leap year for us, right? For maybe once every four years, you insert an extra day for February. And when it comes to the lunar model, they insert an embolismal month every third, six, and eight years. So when you look at 80, from AD 22 to AD 45, AD 32 was the third year of such a cycle, meaning 32 AD was an embolismal year, meaning they added an extra month. Therefore, the difference between the solar year and the lunar is 11 and one-fourth days. It would amount in three years to 33 and three-fourth days. And the intercalation of a 13th month, the Adar, of 30 days would leave an epact still remaining three and three-fourths day. And the ecclesiastical moon, being that much before the real moon, the feast day would have fallen on Friday, 11th of April, exact as the narrative of the Gospels require. And so the feast day is Friday, but the actual day of his death would be Thursday, because the feast day is the feast of unleavened bread. Before that is Passover. So it died on a Thursday, according to Sir Robert Anderson. The, the, the way he was able to get that was when you look at the, new, the NASA New Moon data, it was supposed to be April 14, right? This was the astronomical data. However, you have to make adjustments for three and three-fourths day because it's an embolismic month. And so you go back four days. What is that? August, August, April the 10th. And so Nissan 14, 32 AD, is on April the 10th. So April the 10th, 32 AD, according to Sir Robert Anderson, again, we're not teaching this dogmatically, okay? This is just something that we're piecing together to be well-informed. And so according to his research, Nissan 14, 32 AD would have been April the 10th, 32 AD. That's when Yahusha died. However, we're not looking for when Yahusha died. In Daniel 9, 25 to 26, what are we looking for? What we are looking for was when Yahusha would show up as Messiah the Prince, Messiah the King, Messiah the Ruler. When was that? It turns out in the book of John 6, 15, Yahusha knew that they were about to come and seize him in order to make him king by force. So he went off again to the hills by himself. You notice every time Yahusha would make a miracle, he would tell, don't tell anyone about that. You notice when people try to make him king, he says, no, it's not yet my time. He would always do that. He would always say to the people, it's not yet my time. When people were making him king, he said, it's not yet my time. However, there was a time when he actually arranged it, yeah, that he would be recognized as king. When was that? Look, Luke 
in chapter 19, 28 to 36, after Yahusha said this, he went on in front of them toward Jerusalem. So he was about to enter Jerusalem. And as he came near Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead with these instructions. Go to the village ahead of you. As you go in, you will find a colt. What is a colt? <laughs> what is a colt? Not talking about the beer. What is a colt? Like a horse, like a donkey. You will find a colt tied up that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the master needs it. They went on their way and found everything just as Yahushua had told them. And they were untying the colt. Its owner said to them, why are you untying it? The master needs it, they answered. And they took the colt to Yahushua. Then they threw their cloaks over the animal and helped Yahushua get on. As he rode on, people spread their cloaks on the road. And so here's Yahushua. He can see Jerusalem. He tells his disciples, this is what you need to do. Go get me that colt. Why? I'm going to ride on that colt entering Jerusalem. This was called the triumphal entry. Right? Why did Yahushua ask for a colt? Why do you think? <laughs> well, it's a good thing we have the Old Testament. Because this will not make sense at all. But this is what it says in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice, rejoice, people of Zion. Shout for joy, you people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He comes triumphant and victorious, but humble. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why did Yahushua ask for a colt to fulfill prophecy? What prophecy? That he will enter as king. But a humble king. He's not going to take a Mercedes. He's not going to take a jet. He's not going to take some coaster. Oh, he's, he's going to present himself as king, right? Riding on a donkey. On a colt. The foal of a donkey. And so while he was on the colt, on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill this prophecy concerning the coming of the king, what happened? What did the disciples do? Luke 19, 34, 40. The master needs it, they answered. And they took the colt to Yahushua. Then they threw their cloaks over the animal and helped Yahushua get on. As he rode on, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near Jerusalem, at the place where the road went down, to, went down the Mount of Olives, the large crowd of his disciples began to thank God and praise him in loud voices for all the great things that they had seen. God bless the king who comes in the name of Yahuwah. Place peace in heaven and glory to God. Then some of the Pharisees in the crowd spoke to Yahusha. Teacher, they said, command your disciples to be quiet. Yahusha answered, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will start shouting. And so here's Yahusha riding on a colt. As he was riding, what was he receiving from the people? What was he receiving from the people? praise. What were they shouting? God bless the king. Did he accept that? Yes, even though the Pharisees tried to tell him not to accept it, he accepted that he's the king that comes in the name of Yahuwah. And so at this point, 
he comes to Jerusalem, according to the prophecy, right? Yahusha rides on a colt, on a donkey, to Jerusalem as king or prince. You notice the difference between prince and king? Prince is not yet fully matured, right? Because at this point, Yahusha, even though he is announced as king, the maturation of his kingship is not yet fully realized here because he still has to die. That's why the prophecy says only prince. It wasn't completely fulfilled. It's not, to, it's not meant to be fully, fully fulfilled yet. That's not going to come until tabernacles, right? But at this point, yes, he's king, but he will present himself as prince. Prince or king riding on a coat. When did this happen? On the 10th of Nisan. Why is that important? In the book of Exodus 12, 1 to 6, this was Yahuwah giving instructions to Moses concerning the Passover. He said, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Remember this passage? When Yahusha, when Yahuwah told them to rearrange the calendar. So this time the seventh month is now the first month. Remember that? And so Yahuwah reorganized the calendar. And so this was the first month. And on the 10th of this month, what is each man supposed to do? He's going to take a lamb on the 10th of Nisan. And on the 14th of Nisan, what are they to do? They're going to slaughter the lamb. And so on the 10th of Nisan, the lamb is chosen, inspected for four days. And on the 14th of Nisan, the lamb is killed. And so in our calendar, this is April 6, 32 AD, lamb is chosen. April 10, 32 AD, lamb is killed. Who is this Passover lamb? It is Yahushua. And so on April 6th, the 10th of Nisan, that was the time when Yahushua arrived in Jerusalem as king, as prince on a colt, April the 6th, and to die four days later, April the 10th. So now we have a date concerning the coming of Messiah as the prince, because it says, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which makes for 483 years or 69 weeks. And so now we have dates from the time a decree is made to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, including the street and walls that was fulfilled when? March 14, 445 BC. Until the Messiah comes as prince. When was that? April the 6th, 32 AD. There will be 69 weeks or 483 years. What kind of years? Biblical years. How many days are 483 biblical years? Take out your calculator. 483 times what number? How many days in one year? 360. 360 times 483, you get 173,880 days. And so, according to the prophecy, from the time a decree is made, which was March 14, 445 BC, until the Messiah comes as Prince in Jerusalem, April 6, 32 AD, it should come out to 173,880 
days. Now we have to check it, right? And so that you have March 14, 445 BC and April 632 AD, so we have to do some math, right? So between 445 BC and 32 AD in our calendar, our calendar, okay, that's 173,740 days, right? So far so good? 445 plus 31, get times, times 365, you get 173,740 days. From March 14 to April 6, 24 days. Is enough? But keep in mind, we have leap years. How many? 116 days. Add them all together, what do you get? Lo and behold, 173,880 days. And so the prophecy was fulfilled to the very day when Yahushua HaMashiach arrived in Jerusalem as king. In this case, as prince or ruler, right? So what we have so far... 445 BC, that was the issuing of the decree. It was eventually built, Jerusalem, with its walls, 396 BC. This was for seven weeks or 49 years, right? And then after this was completed on 32 AD, April the 6th, Yahushua, the prince, will come. So 62 plus 7, you have 69 weeks which leaves us with one more week right but before we get to the final week we're not yet finished let's go back to daniel 9 25 26 know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build jerusalem until messiah the prince there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times and after the 62 weeks messiah shall be cut off take note it says after the 62 weeks so this is not included in the 62 weeks this is not included in the total 69 weeks that you see on the screen so there's an interval and so the clock stops ticking for a while so after 69 weeks something happens outside of that time frame right 62 plus 7 or 69 weeks and what will happen after the 62 weeks it says here messiah shall be cut off but not for him self was that fulfilled what does it mean to be cut off he is to be put to death but not for himself but for the people that he's going to save right when did this happen? We know it's Nisan 14 of 32 AD or April 10, 32 AD. What else is going to happen? We know Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. What is going to happen next? The Bible says the next to happen is, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Was this fulfilled after Messiah's death? Yeah, right? When did this happen? 70 AD, right? And so this happened. The Bible says, shall be destroyed. The city and the sanctuary took place 70 AD. What's going to happen next? The Bible says, then it shall be with a, the end of it shall be with a flood. A flood comes suddenly, right? The army of Rome came suddenly. 
not only that, when things come as a flood, what happened to the people of Israel? The flood scattered them. It's called what? The Jewish dispersion or the diaspora, right? And so all this was prophesied in the Bible. Not only that, if you take a close look at what happens next, it mentions until the end of the war, desolations are determined. When it says their end of the war, it's not one singular war. It is multiple wars as though it was only one war. Because if you study the history of Jerusalem, it is replete with wars and desolations. Have you wondered why this was happening to Jerusalem? I mean, when you, when you look at the history of Jerusalem, look at all these wars that happened because of Jerusalem. Not to mention Holocaust and all that. For some reason, people hate the, the Jewish people, right? Anti-Semitism. And this is because it was prophesied. All of these desolations have been determined. This is part of what is going to happen to the people of, of Israel after the death of Messiah, right? And this is all after the 62 weeks. And so it's not included. And the, in the interval of time, which is about 2,000 years now, Yahushua was killed, destruction, dispersion, wars. And it's also called the church age. We are now in this interval of time, 2,000 years so far, thereabouts, okay? So we are now in this interval of time. This is what's going to happen after the 62 weeks, which is after the total of 69 weeks. But before we go to the seventh week, there's something I want to kind of show you there. It mentions here, after the 62 weeks, I want you to take a look at the screen and you're going to see something pink. Do you see it? What does the pink say? There's going to be a prince who is to come. Who is this prince? Different from Messiah, the prince. And so he's going to try and take the place of Messiah, what do you call that? When you take the place of Messiah, that's the spirit of the Antichrist, right? And so there is this false prince who is going to come. This false prince has different names. Daniel calls him Little Horn. John calls him the Beast, Antichrist. Apostle Paul calls him the Man of Lawlessness, right? And so there is this false Prince. And what will this false prince do? It's prophesied in Daniel 8, 9, 11, and 12. This is why in our future studies in Daniel, we're going to study all about this false prince or this antichrist. In Daniel 8, 11, and 12, he even exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts. And so he's making himself as high as who? Yahushua. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of the sanctuary was cast down because of transgression an army was given over to the horde. That's what Daniel calls them. To oppose the daily sacrifices. And he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. So there's going to be an upcoming ruler. 
an antichrist, a false prince who will make himself exalted and he will prosper and he will put an end to the daily sacrifices. And when will this coming prince, this false prince come? It was prophesied by Daniel to come at the end times by Apostle Paul and Apostle John as well. In fact, this is what Apostle Paul said, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 4, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, according to Apostle Paul, who is his false prince, who will exalt himself. Apostle Paul calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition. You might be saying, I know who that is. <laughs> well, that's not, the final, that's not the final fulfillment. The final fulfillment would be the false prince prophesied by Daniel. That's the final fulfillment. However, having said that, Apostle John gave the following warning. He said in 1 John 4, 2-3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yahushua Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Yahushua is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. What did Apostle John say? You know that, that false prince? The apostle John calls the Antichrist physically has not come yet. He's not yet here. But he said his spirit is already at work. And this spirit of the Antichrist, how can they be recognized? They will take the place of who? Yahusha. This is why we're not surprised today. There's so many religious leaders who claim authority of Yahusha. They claim that they are king. There's, there, they, you know, people look at like the Pope and executive leaders and kings. They even, some even claim that they're Jesus themselves, right? There are people like that. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. They want to replace Yahushua. Anytime a leader wants to replace Yahushua, that's not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And soon... The actual Antichrist is going to come. And what will he do? Let's go to Daniel 9, 25 to 27. And so there's this prince who is to come, right? This is not included in the 69 weeks. What will he eventually do? Let's keep reading in verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. There's the last week. And so the last week begins with this false prince making a covenant with many. Who are the many referred to there? The people of Israel. The majority of Israel. Somehow something's going to happen. Israel is going to need assistance from this prince. And they will form an agreement, a covenant for one week. That one week covenant that will consist of the final seven years what many people call the tribulation. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate 
even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Wow. So this is what's going to happen. The final week. The false prince is going to come. He's going to make an agreement with the people of Israel. And then in the middle of the week, what will he do? He will make an end. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. I want you to, look, to, to notice that, right? He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. How can that happen? How can that make sense if there is no temple? So by this time, what can we conclude? Think about it. It says here, this false prince is going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. And this prophecy is about Israel in Jerusalem, Daniel 9, 24, right? What can we assume? Yeah, the temple in Jerusalem by that time would have already been built again. That'll be the third temple. First one was Solomon's temple, right? And then after the captivity, the second one that was destroyed 70 AD. It's going to be a third one. The one prophesied by Ezekiel. And this temple will be installed during the end times. And so what's going to happen when this is installed and Israel begins to practice their offering and sacrifices, this figure, a false prince, all of a sudden, midway, is going to put an end to sacrifice and offerings. What can we say about Israel at this point? At this point, they haven't accepted Yahushua yet as a Messiah. Why? Because you're still practicing the daily sacrifices. If they accept Yahusha as their Messiah, they would not need that anymore. If they accept Yahusha as their high priest. But they're still depending. Maybe it's, the high, maybe it's the false prince who have become someone they're involved with. But all of a sudden, this false prince is going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. When will this happen? During that final week. Of seven years and when you look at the book of Revelation and when you look at Matthew 24 Yahushua mentions this as the, and calls it the great tribulation which is why hopefully trumpets will come right before it so that we can be taken to heaven right when you look at this timeline and when you look at the abominations mentioned in the prophecy, it seems like the plan for Israel is not too good, <laughs> right? When you look at it, but when we go back to Daniel 9.24, the one that we read earlier, this is Yahuwah's plan for Israel. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Seventy-week plan, a 490-year plan that includes all six of these what do you notice about the first three? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. It was started already by who? Yahushua, when he died. Right? And so basically he completed, although not to its maturity, to its final completion, because Israel still rejected the sacrifice of Yahushua. But if you take a look at the next three goals of Yahuwah's 490-year plan. Look at the next three. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. 
What does that mean? It means the world is going to be according to the righteousness and the ways of God. Love will reign. There's going to be peace all over the world. Is that what we see now? That's not what we see now, right? Lawlessness abounds, not love. What else? To seal up vision and prophecy. When Yahusha's here on earth, would we still need vision and prophecy? We got the word himself, Yahusha. And it says right there, number six, to anoint the most holy place. When is the most holy place anointed? What day is that? Most holy place. When is that? When was that? When did that happen? On the day of what? Atonement. So these next three, four, five, and six, it seems to suggest, it seems to point to a future, not trumpets, but atonement, right? Which will bring in the everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, which will happen during the tabernacles. And so all this points to the end of sin for Israel when they finally accept Yahusha as their high prince that puts a final end to their sin and their travails and ushers in tabernacles or the millennial kingdom. Do you see that? So this is Yahuwah's plan for the people of Israel. And so Yahuwah has not forgotten about Israel. What further proves that Yahuwah plans to restore Israel? In the book of Hosea, here's another prophecy. Come, let us return to Yahuwah, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Here's a prophecy. I don't know if many of you are familiar with this prophecy, but Hosea, in Hosea chapter 5, he's speaking about Israel's repentance and Israel's reaching out to the Messiah. In Hebrews 6, 1-2, it says here, Come, let us return to Yahuwah. Why all of a sudden do they want to return to Yahuwah? Because Yahuwah has torn them. When did that happen? When was Israel as a nation torn apart? Was it during the Babylonian captivity? They were not torn apart during that time. There were many Israelites in Babylon, and they were focused there, right? But when was that time when they were torn apart? 70 AD. So 70 AD, the people of Israel, they were torn. And after that, the Bible says they were wounded. How so? Wars in Jerusalem, the hate and the persecution against the Jews. But the prophet said, he will revive us after two days. What does it mean that Israel will be revived after two days? It means Israel will finally have their high priest and their king. When will, when will that be when they have a high priest? Because once you have your high priest, you're revived. You're brought to life. Yahusha brings to life. That's what, that's what the word revive means. You cannot be revived unless Yahusha is your Messiah. That is on the day of atonement, right? Day of atonement. And so it says, he will revive us after two days. And he will raise us up on the third day that, he, that we may live before him. Does this remind you of something? One day is to how many years? 
thousand years. And so the prophet is saying that Israel as a nation will be torn apart, but they will repent and return to Yahuwah. And they will be revived after two, two millenniums when Yahusha will be their high priest on the day of atonement. When were they torn? 70 AD. Could it be that 2070 or thereabouts is the day of atonement? Could be. 2070. This is the day of atonement, right? And how is Israel getting prepared? Well, 1948, Israel became a nation. 1967, Israel captured Jerusalem. And so be on the lookout for the day when Israel builds a temple in Jerusalem. Once that happens, you know it's very near. Because before the Day of Atonement comes, there is a rapture. Right? There's a taking up. We don't know when that is. We don't know the interval of time between the blowing of the trumpet that would bring the Christians, the Yahushans, to heaven and also the Day of Atonement. We don't know that interval of time. This is why it can happen at any time. It can happen at any time. And so what we would not want to happen is for those who were listening today to be calculating when is judgment day? When is Yahusha going to take us to heaven? When is Yahusha going to be the high priest of Jerusalem, of, of Israel? And so they're so focused on that. And so they're watching the news about Israel. There's nothing wrong with that. It's being watchful. However, if that's the only thing we do, we lose the whole point. What's the whole point? Why are we studying all about the feast? Because we can see the main person who is fulfilling the feast. Who is that? Yahusha. That's the point. It's not to calculate dates. It's not to predict when the blowing of the last trumpet will be. That's not the point. The point is to see the involvement of Yahusha HaMashiach. If we fail to see that, then we have missed the point of why we study the feasts. And so the whole point is Yahusha's message to all of us. Am I right? Because if we miss out on the message of Yahusha, and because we're so busy calculating all these numbers, looking up lunar cycles and all that, and we miss the point, that's very unfortunate. And so what does Yahusha want each one of us to know so that we will reign with him. In the book of Revelation 1, 10 to 11, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches and so what's the whole point of studying the feast it is so that we will be fully alert and fully hear the message that yahusha has for each one of us because he has a message for the church let him hear this is what he says to the churches and when it says the seven churches that applies to us in revelation the church is mentioned only in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. After Revelation 3, the church is not mentioned again. From Revelation 4 to 18, the church is not mentioned again. Revelation 19 is when the church appears again. When the church is going to come down. Right? 
And so before that happens, this is the message that Yahushua has. We can find it in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. This is why if I were you, if we truly want to benefit from Yahushua's message, study well Revelation 2 and 3. Tonight, tomorrow, the next day, study Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 because that's the voice of Yahushua. That's his message for the church, including us, so that we, we will be with him and reign with him and sit on his throne. And if you look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we summarize the voice of Yahushua before, remember, in one of our lessons. And this is what basically Yahushua has for all of us. This is the message. I want to go through it briefly. Work hard. Be patient. Do not tolerate evil people. Test all religious people. Reject religious leaders who lie. Suffer for the sake of Yahushua. Do not give up when you have a little power because of oppression. Turn from sins. Wake up, repent, and do what, what you were taught. Increase love for Yahuwah and Yahushua. Be rich in good works like love and service and abound in it. Endure slander and persecution. Be faithful to Yahushua and suffering and threat of death. Do not follow the teaching of Balaam by allowing yourselves to be persuaded in doing what is wrong in God's sight. Do not follow the teaching of Nicolaitans by allowing yourselves to be ruled by oppressive religious leaders. I want to pause it for a while. You know, in all the messages of Yahushua, the one time he used the word hate, he said it was, I hate the Nicolaitans. What is it, the, the way, what is the teaching of the Nicolaitans? It is clergy oppressing and reigning over the people that they lead. It's when spiritual leaders become kings. This is why when you look at the Gospels, Yahusha, who did he pick on the most? Huh? Those who were making themselves to be kings. Those who were making themselves to be more righteous than everyone else. That's the one thing he hates, the hypocrisy. The Nicolaitans, the way of the Pharisees, when people make the claim, listen to me, if you don't, you're going to go to hell. I am the key to Yahushua. I'm the key to Yahuwah. There are spiritual leaders who are like that. Yahushua says, I hate that. 15, do not tolerate Jezebel by rejecting idolatry practiced by people who call themselves messengers of God. Hold on to and keep safe what we have by obeying Yahushua unto the very end. Avoid hypocrisy by focusing on cleaning up Avoid hypocrisy by focusing on cleaning up your reputation, but not your spiritual life. Be faithful to Yahusha by rejecting the claims of people who say they hold the key to salvation. And keep the command to endure. Do not be lukewarm in your services to God. Brethren, go back to Revelation 2 and 3. Study it again and again. Because that is what we need to heed. That's what we need to obey. But who will go against us in obeying the voice of Yahusha? 1 John 4, 2-3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yahusha Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Yahusha is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. Who is going to go against us? So that we will not listen and heed the voice of Yahusha. People who have the spirit of the Antichrist. Who are they? Those who do not confess of Yahusha. Those who do not confess Yahusha. What do they confess instead? Some spiritual leader. There are people today who read the Bible. There are people today who belong to a religion. 
But instead of placing their hope, placing their trust on Yahusha HaMashiach, instead of confessing Yahusha, they confess somebody else's name. Could be the Pope, could be somebody else. An executive leader, perhaps. They confess their names instead of Yahusha HaMashiach. The Bible says, if you do not confess that Yahusha is your Savior, if you do not confess Yahusha, by making your place and placing your hope and trust upon him. And that's not the spirit that comes from God. That's the spirit that comes from the Antichrist. Because remember, the Antichrist wants to replace Yahusha. So if there are any spiritual leaders whose work is to replace Yahusha, run away and give your full loyalty and trust to Yahusha HaMashiach. If we will do this, what is the promise of Yahusha? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Yahushua is telling us, I'm the one who has the key of David. I'm the one who has absolute power concerning your final destination. So do not believe those who may claim that they have that key or that they have the kind of authority. Don't. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Yahushua says, I'm the one who has the key of David. And what does he say to us? He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, religious people who will say that you do not belong to Yahuwah, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. What is that? Isn't that the tribulation? Yahushua says, I'm going to keep you from that hour of testing. If you will persevere with my word, if you, will place my, if you will place hope in me, Yahushua says, I'm going to keep you away from that power of tribulation. So persevere, brethren. Heed the voice of Yahushua. Do not believe those who make the claim that they have authority that Yahushua never gave them. Yahushua is the one who has the keys. He has the power over our destiny. And so heed his voice. And if we will do this, what is his promise? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into their house and eat with them, and they will eat with me. To those who win the victory, I will give the right to sit beside me on my throne, just as I have been victorious and now sit by my Father on his throne. If you have ears, then listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Yahushua's promise is if we will listen, we will have the right to sit before him, beside him, at his throne. When Yahushua comes back with the kahal to establish his kingdom, we will sit beside him in his millennial reign. This is why, brethren, heed the voice of Yahushua. Make him your one and only savior. Place your trust in him, not in us, not in ministers, but in Yahushua HaMashiach. He is the reason why we preach. We preach to point you, to direct you to Yahusha. He is the king. And we need to recognize him as the king. Confess that he's the king, that he's our master. And we will listen and heed his voice. If we do that, 
we will be with him forevermore and he will confess our names before his father and his angels that we will have our names forever written in the lamb's book of life let us stand brethren and we shall pray together everlasting abba yes thank you so much for your wonderful blessings yes you have decreed your plan for your people israel Thank you for including us in your plans. Yes. Thank you for grafting us in. Yes. We belong to the kahal of your son. Yes. Thank you for appointing and calling us to service. Amen. Thank you for giving us this message. Yes. We firmly believe in just a matter of time, we shall receive your manifold promises yes. through your son, Yahushua. Yahushua HaMashiach. Yes. We confess you every day in our life yes we belong to you loving messiah yes you are our king yes. as human beings we make mistakes yes. there are things that we do wrong against you yes we are not perfect far from it oh messiah yes but yahushua the one thing that we have is our love for you yes we belong to you though we are unworthy you have made known to us the name of abba Yes. You have made known to us your precious name. Yes. You have given us your plans. Help us to be fully prepared. Yes. We have heeded your voice. Amen. We will follow that every day in our lives. Yes. When we will be persecuted, we yes. will look up to you. That's all we need. Yes. We will not be afraid anymore. Yes. When you are our Messiah, yes. when you are our King, yes. we can be strong now and forever. Yes. Please, Yahushua HaMashiach, yes. stand beside us now. Amen. Help us to overcome persecutions and trials in our life. Amen. We don't know when you will come back. Yes, Lord. Yahushua, how we long for that day. Yes, Lord. To see you face to face. Yes. To embrace you physically. Yes. To speak to you. To receive your guidance personally. Yes. To serve you and to worship you. Yes. On that day when you return, look for all of us. Give us the opportunity now yes. to prepare ourselves. Yes. If we are not yet prepared, do something, please. Yes. Use instruments. Open the eyes of our loved ones. Yes. You are coming soon. Yes. You will gather us unto yourself. Yes. How we long for that day. Yes. Help us to endure and to stand beside you forevermore. Amen. Loving Abba, Yahuwah, our God. Yes. In the meantime, we will wait with patience, yes. yet full of hope, knowing you are with us. Yes. Help us to overcome all things and by your spirit be able to accomplish your will that your kingdom will expand here on earth. Amen. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. You have blessed your people throughout the world. Yes. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua the King. Amen. Amen.